0: This is the Airplane Geeks podcast. Our aim is to educate and inform you, explore and expand your passion for aviation, and entertain you a little along the way. This is Max Flight, and I'm still on the road, this time coming to you from the Santa Fe National Forest, where there's no cell signal. I'm truly off the grid. But we do have two interviews for you this week. Both were recorded by the team of Hillel Glazier. Our innovations and in entrepreneurship correspondent, and our main man, Micah. The first is with Julie Melnick. She's the founder and CEO of Sky Squad. Now, Sky Squad provides an extra set of helping hands at the airport for people who need assistance. I think it's a very creative business idea. And then we hear from John and Martha King. Now, you probably know all about the Kings, and they've been our guests before on this podcast. Well, when it comes to pilot training programs, the Kings are legendary. But now they've written a new book about their life lessons, and you'll hear about that. So let's get started with Julie Melnick, the founder and CEO of SkySquad.
1: We're here with Julie Melnick, founder, CEO of SkySquad. SkySquad is a startup that, in my own unofficial marketing words, provides helping hands at the airport to provide an extra set of hands and eyes and legs at the airport from curb to gate for those travelers who might need that sort of help. This service was born of a need that Julie experienced herself. I met Julie at an investment portfolio meeting of the Maryland Technology Development Corporation, otherwise known as TEDCO. TEDCO is basically the official venture investment arm for the state of Maryland where both Julie and I live. And in full disclosure, not that it really matters, I have a small role in TEDCO in a fund that is not related to Julie's business. In fact, prior to this event, I'd never met Julie or even heard of her company. You can imagine how excited I was when I heard and learned that Sky Squad was in the state's investment portfolio And when I did, I had to introduce myself after listening to her present on stage as she talked about her company. It's such a great story that rather than read her bio, I'd like Julie to tell us herself about it. Julie, welcome to the Airplane Geeks podcast. We're so glad you could join us.
2: Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here.
1: Julie, tell us about Sky Squad. How did you start? Uh, Where did it come from? And how did you end up where you are right now?
2: Thank you. Um, well, I will. I'll start at the beginning. I um, I grew up on the East Coast, but I lived in Cal- moved to California when after I met my husband. We moved out there. We lived in Southern California, and I flew back and forth to the East Coast a lot. And it was always a little stressful, but I got through it. Then, when I had kids, when I had my first son, Mikey, I literally had this one experience where I could not carry everything to get myself from the um, gate where I was sitting with my D and all my stuff to the jetway, And I asked the gate agent for help. And he said, sorry, ma'am, those are your own belongings. I had my car seat. I had my stroller. I had my diaper bag, my luggage. I had my toddler. And I just couldn't pick everything up. When he said, sorry, I can't help you. I thought, oh my gosh, how can you say no? And there's probably so many people that need help. How is there not a service to help moms and anyone really who needs help at the airport? And I thought, I wonder what my options are. You know, there's like the wheelchair people there that are options, but you know, having a wheelchair wouldn't really help a mom with a lot of stuff because she still has to chase after her toddler. There's the high end VIP services, but those are hundreds of dollars and usually reserved for, you know, celebrities or very fancy business travelers, in my opinion at the time. So when I walked onto the plane, I literally had this light bulb moment and it was so, I can still feel it. It was this light bulb that popped up on the plane. And I thought, I have to start this company that's going to help moms at the airport because no one else is doing this. It's such an overlooked market. We need to get this started. And I just got so excited and I went home and I told my husband about it. And he is a, definitely not like the dreamer type. He's a very, very much a realist, you know, he's a CPA. And he was like, that's a great idea. We should totally do this. And I was like, surprised. I was like, wow, you know, I have Matt support. Let's get this started. So the initial concept of sky squad was actually a little bit different The initial concept was helping moms and dads at the airport as well as on the plane, and we would do that by matching you up with someone on the same flight as you. So you could get help in the airport, get help on the flight. It could be like the grandma. It could be a retired nurse. It could be a retired doctor, retired anyone, um, or it could be a college student, anyone really traveling the same place as you that had some extra hands without their own kids to watch that can help you with your kids. So that was the initial concept. It was launched around 2012 and we had a great response press wise. My background is public relations, so I knew how to get a press release out. I knew how to talk to, to um, magazines and newspapers, but I didn't really know how to run a business and I didn't really know the first thing about a startup, but I learned so much in those two years. Um, I spent two years working on it. We had thousands of people that signed up, but we really had a problem getting specific matches because we didn't have enough supply to meet the demand. And the reason was because on our website that we started, that we had, you could sign up for any airport under the sun. Um, so we had signups in Chicago, LA, San Francisco, Sydney, Australia, London, Italy, and there wasn't enough supply to meet the demand for each request. So we only had about a, a handful of requests. I basically put it on hold after two years of working. I was tired of kind of running in circles and we moved to the East Coast for my husband's job. And I started a PR firm with a friend and we had a really great PR firm. And it was really exciting and fun, but I would continue to get requests from this old website that we had that was on hold for, for the service. People would write me and say, Hey, I'm traveling with my kids. I'm desperate for help. Can you recommend, you know, a service because you're not in business anymore. And every time I saw that request, I got so excited. And I decided to bring the service back to life and um, start Sky Squad. And the new concept of Sky Squad is really that we focus on helping you at the airport. We don't focus on the flight part of it. We focus on the airport because that seems to be where the most stress is. And that was a very long answer. Sorry I talked so long.
1: No, that was great. So because you hit so many points in your response, um, the one point I got out of it among many others is that you – came from a non-aviation background. I'm guessing you didn't do a ton of PR for airlines or aviation-related businesses, and that the whole problem, or the I should say the business, was born out of a problem you personally experienced. Did it occur to you that when you'd start the business, either iteration of it, just how much it would take to get going and what uh, or how fast or slow the traction would be? Or what, what was your what did, what did you imagine?
2: That is a great question. Uh, nobody's really ever asked me that question before, but it's something I think about a lot. So the first time I started, you know, when I started natting the Clouds, I just had so much excitement around the concept of it. It was like the fuel that kept me going. It was like adrenaline. Like, this is such a great idea. I need to figure it out, how to make it happen. Um, and I got such great feedback from everyone that that fueled me to keep going, even though I really, I had never taken a business course. Like I really didn't know I had my husband to kind of guide me in terms of like, okay, these are some ideas. But after two years, I I kind of, I didn't give up, but I put it on hold. And I said to myself, I don't want to do this again by myself. I said to myself, the next time I open, the next time I start this, I will have a team of people. I need a team of people. This is impossible to do by myself. A, because I don't have the aviation background and B, this is a big a big deal. And we need to have more than one person working on it. So I went to an event with my mom in February, I think of 2019. I think that's when it was. It was some sort of travel conference in Miami. It was at a time where I was really thinking, okay, this is, you know, I'm almost ready to get this started again, but I need to go to this conference, get a feel for it, see how it makes me feel. And I saw about five to 10 startups present on stage and they were startups, but they, some of them had millions of dollars in revenue. And I was so impressed with all of them. And I remember leaving the conference and I said to my mom, like, this is going to be so much work. Like, I don't know if I'm ready for this. This is going to, if I go in to do this again, it will be so all encompassing. I don't know if I'm ready for this. Two little kids, you know, I have this great PR lifestyle now where I'm working, but I really make my own hours and I can see that this is going to be, this is going to take over a little bit. And I really thought about it, you know, like, am I ready for this? And I just was so excited to bring this to life and to get this, out there so that people could have help and a better flying experience that surpassed all of the fear and the nerves that I was like, yes, I have to do this, you know? So yes, I did think about it.
1: So as a segue into how Squad works, can you tell us if you recall, what was it that clicked or the light bulb that helped you pivot from matching people at airports who are already traveling between two points to the current, business model or operational model, really. That way you can tell us, you know, what the operational model is, like, how does, how does Sky Squad work? But since you already told us how Nanny in the Sky was going to work and kind of sort of did a little bit for a short while, you know, what happened that clicked for you to switch to the current operating model? And, and then, and so that will help us understand, you know, how does it work?
2: Yes. So, um, the way that it works now is that we hire and train badged and background checked airport assistants. So we're hiring a lot of our, our staff members are coming from the airport environment where they either work for an airline, they work for an air, airport service company. Sometimes they work in retail. So a lot of them are familiar with the badging process and going, you know, going to work in an airport. We have recently started hiring some new people that aren't necessarily from the airport specifically, but maybe they work in some other form of tourism. Some work at the car rental return areas. Some work in other industries, and they have a passion for travel, and they decide to come in. Once we hire our staff members, they have to go through the badge and background check process. And then, you know, it can be time-consuming, but once they get their badge, they are able to help people from the curb, through security, and to the gate. And our goal really is to provide a VIP experience for every single one of our customers. And we do that by ensuring that there is someone waiting for you when you arrive at the airport for your departure. And we help you get all of your luggage out of your car. We help you through the check-in process. We help you through the security process by unloading things onto the belt. If you're a mom and you have a stroller, we can help you fold up the stroller, all the things that cause you a lot of stress through the security line. And then we help you navigate your way to the gate. And we can, once we get you to the gate, we can keep an eye on your bag so you can go to the restroom or you can grab a snack. Or we can grab, you know, we can grab a snack for you. So it really does make our customers feel like a VIP. And I think... It was a real evolution. I mean, I just talking to my family, I remember you know my hu- husband was helpful in this conversation. It was kind of like, you know, let's focus on the airport. I mean you know it was really hard it was like it, you know it was like two bullets meeting in midair to try to find people flying on the exact same flight that needed help and wanted to help. That was really hard, so by focusing on the airport, we were able to really narrow it down and having to supply it and meet the demand by hiring staff that's ready to go that solved the problem of it, will there be someone so it was, it was a real evolution. I don't remember the exact moment we thought of it. Um, I did have a co-founder that when I first started who was great, she actually reached out to me, had a similar concept in mind. She reached out to me before I was really ready to start Sky Squad and wanted to work together. And that kind of gave me some confidence about the idea. And then when I was ready to start it, I reached out to her. So we worked together for a while and then she took another job. So then she became an advisor. And then I was on my own again, and I had to find other co-founders. So I was able to find Chris and Dave
1: who are my co-founders now. So the Sky Squad assistants seem to have to have some level of able-bodiedness. They're not just there to you know they have to be able to carry and 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 you want some level of experience at least uh common sense obviously but perhaps a little bit more than that because dealing with kids and uh baggage and so forth it's a problem space that not everyone has a lot of experience in you know to be good at so i'm guessing that their badging process and security process is whatever the airport tells you you need to do but you must have your own way of screening people can you tell us about that?
2: Sure. I mean, we we have a you know we have very high standards with who we're hiring. We look for friendly individuals, people that are really focused on helping others, people who enjoy helping others. I mean, those are our criteria. We we don't hire well, people hello, that aren't. friendly. you
3: and I are out. We're not going to be able to get a job for Sky Squad.
2: <laughs> you guys would be great. You guys would be fantastic. Um, we're looking for people that just enjoy being in the airport. It is definitely a hectic environment. It's not for everyone. So we definitely, you know, when we're meeting people for, you know, for interviews, a lot of times we like to meet them at the airport to make sure that they like, you know, they can get there. They know where to go. Um, and you know, we really look for a special DNA in people that show that they're friendly and helpful. So once we have that established, they go through the badge and background check process. It's pretty similar at the airports, but every airport has its own style and way of doing things. Um, and once they have their background check cleared and they're they're trained at the airport, um, we also have our own training. We have a training video. We do some in-person training. You know, we like our our staff members to do a job with our managers to make sure they know what they're doing. And it's been a really, it's been such a wonderful growing experience for our company. We've You know, we started so small. Now we're going to be in eight airports. We're launching in Las Vegas, actually, within the next two weeks. Um, so it's been a really great just learning experience for everyone on the team.
1: So you call the people that help uh, assistants?
2: No, we go back and forth. Sometimes we call them assistants. Sometimes we call them helpers. We kind of do that.
1: And you've already answered this question. So I'm confirming that all your assistants are employees of of a sort. They're not uh, volunteers.
2: They're independent contractors for us, and they are not volunteers. No, we pay them.
1: Got it. Great. So um, there's a couple of questions that come out of that. It's sticking with the independent contractor bit. Um, they make their own hours. Uh, they kind of come on call, I suppose. How do you, so while it's not quite as, Precise or difficult as having to, a couple of bullets meeting in midair, uh, it's still uh, so you've you have definitely simplified the problem by focusing on just at an airport. You still have to have the people available when the person's going to be there, and then there's potentially issues of the traveler is notified that their flight's delayed, so they don't bother coming for the few hours extra. But you've already ask this person to come uh, to meet them there. You know, there's a, it's still pretty complex. So as far as the on-call nature or the matching up the time scenario, how does that work? Is it like, I guess, Uber or something, or how does that work?
2: Yeah. I mean, it's not that different than Uber. Um, so right now we have two ways of booking SkySquad. The first way is to pre-book. So if you have a flight coming up on Saturday morning, you could put, put in a booking form on our website. It's very simple and easy to use booking form. And we would sit, see that you're know, looking for an airport assistant to greet you at the airport at 9 a.m. on Saturday morning. So we see that our operations team sees that. We'll send a message out to our list of all of our airport assistants at Dallas Airport. If that's where you're flying out of. And we'll see who can take the job. And so right now, we've we recently hired a CTO to automate all of this. But right now, it's still there's a fair bit of manual. We're using all low-code and no-code um, systems to kind of bring everything together. And it's working really well. Um, but for our CTO, we're excited about him automating everything. But basically, whoever can take the job will be there. What we'll do is we'll send an intro for you and this person and you and the assistant. We'll introduce you. So the day before, you'll get an introduction email. The morning of, you'll get a text directly from this assistant saying, saying, Hey, I'll be here 15 minutes before your arrival time. I'm, I'm wearing a Sky Squad hat and t-shirt. And this is what, you know, the hats look like this. So they're hard to miss. You know, you can, you can look out for our Sky Squad branded people. And it's a really great system because, you know, everyone can meet each other. They know what they're looking for. We we ask our customers what type of car they're coming in. And a lot of times they don't know because they're coming in an Uber. They'll know 15 minutes before because they're in the car. But, you know The staff member knows what kind of car they're looking for. The customer knows that they're looking for the SkySquad hat. That's one way that you can book SkySquad. And so what we do is we, you know, really count on our assistants to come when they say they're going to come. It works out really well. Now, at some airports, we are able to sell SkySquad on site. And that is a really great system for us. This is the model that we're working towards at all of our airports. We're doing this right now in Fort Lauderdale and in Salt Lake City. Eventually, we'd really like to be offering to offer this model at all of our airports because what it does is it puts a team of individuals, of staff members in the airport during the busiest times of the airport. So for example, in Fort Lauderdale, it's really like 6 to 10 or 6 to 11 a.m. And actually 5.30 in the morning. And we have a team of at least 10 people there every single day, sometimes closer to 20, sometimes even more. And so that way, when there's a pre-booking, there's tons of people that can take the job. And if there's a delay, there's plenty of people to do backups that this one person has to leave. So that is the ultimate goal for SkySpot, to have that set up in all of our airports. Um, in our other airports, if that happens, if there's a delay and this person can no longer do the job, we have our list of others that we call on, you know, and we do that. And we do have sort of people managing each of our hubs. So there's always a, that backup. Um, we do our best to accommodate every job. Flights definitely do come up. Delays come up. cancellations come up. And we are such an early days in our company. We do everything we can to make sure the customer's happy. If we, for some reason, can't help them that day, we'll offer them um, a gift card for the next flight and and complimentary service. The other way that you can book SkySquad, though, is on site. So when you show up at the airport in Salt Lake City, for example, and if you'd like service, we can offer it to you right then and there. And it's great because we're surprising and delighting customers who are generally stressed out about their trip. And then when they find out that SkySquad can help them, and some of our airports like Salt Lake City we have expedited security access. It just takes such a load off and people are so thrilled to get this experience and it's only forty nine dollars for the hour.
3: How do the the airports, TSA, and the airlines take to this? Because they all have reputations to deal with as well. And when someone is traveling through Newark Airport, it doesn't matter what happens, you're going to say you had a horrible experience, you're going to blame it on Newark Airport. Or if somebody is flying, and and that's not to say anything bad about Newark Airport, although I would if you asked me. (laughs) Uh, And if somebody's flying with a particular airline, they're going to blame that airline for a situation, regardless of whether it's ATC or TSA or whatever, how do you end up getting into these airports and how do they work with you as partners?
2: That's a great question. Some of the airports are reaching out to us to say, hey, we're, we've heard what you're doing. We're interested in learning more and they're starting conversations with us. I think Sky Squad can really be viewed as a tool to help everyone. It is such a win-win because when you have a great experience at the airport, it really reflects better upon all of these entities. It reflects better on the airline, even though the airline isn't necessarily helping us do our job. It reflects better on the airport because they have a better experience. So really everyone benefits from the customer feeling happy. And I think airlines are starting, airports and airlines are starting to recognize that. And that's why they're taking a chance and working with us to say, Hey, let's give this new company a try. This is an overlooked population. You know, for so many years, we focused on business travelers and now business travel has definitely changed. And here's an opportunity to improve the um, leisure travel experience and why not? So the airlines and airports are definitely taking to us well I will say overall and it's kind of a matter there's so many airlines have so many initiatives that they're always working on so i think the biggest hurdle we have with airlines is just you know having them find the time to make it happen to do a test with us so that they can experience it for themselves and get the customer feedback which has been across the board unbelievably great
3: well i think it's phenomenal but i, I... I think it's also unfortunate that it's necessary because there used to be a time when airline service was so good and service was part of what they did that this would happen automatically. It was part of purchasing your ticket. But as airline service has sunk to the bottom, the big race to the bottom that we always talk about, it turns into something where you need to start a business like this in order to give the service that was once automatically a part of what you were purchasing in your ticket.
2: Exactly. If that man that I asked 12 years, you know, 11 years ago had said, sure, ma'am, let me help you with your car seat. I probably wouldn't have thought about starting a service like this because he would have been helping me. You know, that's the help that I needed. So him saying no, and me almost crying in the airport, I think is really what led to this. And I think I'm, you know, there's so many examples of other people that have experienced a moment where they needed help at the airport, not just moms, but just people, you know, older people, people that have just recently sprained their ankle and need a little support or people traveling for trade shows and have a lot of extra boxes, just need an extra hand. So there's so many use cases for this service. And I agree with what you're saying. I think, you know, when I was a little kid, I remember it being a different experience traveling and now it is, it is different. And I think airlines are all looking for ways to improve the experience. And if they can outsource some of the dust, why not?
1: So speaking of different services that are or are not provided, I can imagine that you could provide a similar service that would help, say, younger people who may not qualify any longer to be treated as unaccompanied minors because they're too old, but this doesn't mean that they're old enough to navigate an airport or anything that dealing with the travel experience. So especially these days with the airport experience and the whole travel thing being kind of like a, a, a shaken snow globe, um, because it's the logistics and and the delays and, and everything, it would be daunting even for a, a, a late teenager who's never traveled alone before to try to navigate the whole airport thing. You could, you know, that's an area that someone could hire Sky Squad just to help this person not go crazy just getting from TSA to their gate or whatever.
2: I think that is definitely an area we'd like to explore down the road. We're not really, you know, focusing on that at this point just because we are, you know, trying to establish ourselves first with the um, families and seniors and others. But that is definitely an audience I think that we could benefit down the road.
3: Well, and the other thing is that I think it's very important to note is when I first um – Uh, Read about Sky Squad and preparing for the interview, I thought about, well, you know, if you're uh, uh, an older person or somebody that uses a wheelchair, that uh, it's really not 100% necessary. But in fact, as I thought about it more, it is because you need to get from the car to wherever the wheelchair is going to be. And that can be very, very difficult when you're at a huge airport. I'm thinking of LHR in particular, uh, trying to get from the car uh, to the gate where you check in, to the place that you have to walk to to pick up the wheelchair. To where you're waiting for the wheelchair, it's very difficult for someone that needs that, and you are in a wonderful position to be able to add additional services, obviously at a cost, but at a reasonable cost in order to get somebody from the car to where they need to be. And I think it's a wonderful
1: idea. Yeah, in fact, um, I know Julie, you're constantly doing customer discovery, um, but in support of that, my ninety-something-year-old father-in-law just made his way from Fort Lauderdale to to Baltimore, both airports you serve, and. He might, in his mind, think he could have done it without any support, but if it wasn't for my sister-in-law traveling with him the entire way, there's no way he would have been able to to accomplish this trip because of all the work that she put in that he was oblivious to. If she wasn't there, he would have needed someone like Sky Squad to help him out. And, you know, the fact that, that she was on the flight with him was secondary to the fact that he needed a lot of help at both ends of his trip. It coincided with me meeting you. But had I known about you before his trip, this could have saved my sister in law a trip.
2: Yes, we hear that a lot. And we absolutely would love to help anytime. Just let us know we'd be there. And to your point, Micah, I agree. You know, it's unbelievable to me that the wheelchair stations are set up inside. Because I see so many people struggle when they get to the airport, and they say, Where's my wheelchair? And, you know, once in a while, the wheelchairs can come out to the car. But most of the time, they're so busy. It's really, it takes a long time. I mean, it's such a hassle. So we really enjoy helping those customers and we, and we don't have provide wheelchairs, but we accompany the wheelchair attendant. And it's just really nice for the family that is saying goodbye to their loved one who's in the wheelchair to know that we have their phone number. We can text them to keep them updated. There's a real personal connection there. So they just have such a sigh of relief to know that they can have an update from their loved one of where they are if they're not good at texting and things like that. So I agree. There's a big missing piece there.
3: So, Julie, what airports are you in and how can our listeners get in touch with you if they they need to book your services for themselves or for someone in their family or someone they know?
2: Yes. So we are in seven airports right now. Um, Vegas will be our eighth. So they are Baltimore, Dulles, Reagan, Cincinnati, Philadelphia, Fort Lauderdale, and we are in Salt Lake City. And we are about to open in Las Vegas. So, if they would like to book a service with Sky Squad, they can go to our website, which is skysquad.com. There's also an 800 number, it's 877 Fly Calm. And we have a great answering service there that's always answering. I, you know, I'm glad you guys like our, our, our name, Fly Calm. I okay. love it. I really wanted those, those words in it because it's just that's our mission. We want people to fly calm. And I know it's not easy. People definitely get a lot of anxiety around travel. I know I certainly do. So it's really so nice to have that extra set of hands. And that's what we want to
1: be. Great. Julie, thank you so much for joining us. This has really been a fun discussion around your business and welcome to the aviation business community. Um, Thank you. Is there anything you wanted to uh, tell us that we didn't ask? Um, So like I like to ask uh, as the entrepreneur and innovation correspondent, other than money, what is it that you could use right now? Like if if you'd get something to move your business forward right now, what would it be?
2: It's a great question. I think what we're, Our goal right now, our biggest goal right now is to continue moving these conversations along with the airlines that we're having, as well as hotels and all travel partners. I mean, we are such a great add-on to any travel-related industry. Rideshare companies, hotels, cruise lines, airlines, OTAs, you know, we just want to be added on to all of these places that people go when they're looking to book travel so that they can take, you know, take a load off and realize that they'll have some extra help when they get to the airport. Our biggest challenge is really awareness. So getting into these partnerships with these travel-related companies is really our biggest priority right now.
1: Well, hopefully some of the many Airplane Geeks podcast listeners who we know are all over the travel and aviation industry, somebody should be reaching out to you after hearing your story and learning about Sky Squad, And we just want to wish you continued success.
2: Thank you so much. This has been so fun. I really enjoyed it. And I'm so glad you asked me to come on. Thank you again.
1: I'm glad you could make it. Micah, thanks for joining. It's great to be here. For the Airplane Geeks, I'm Hillel Glazer, and we got Micah, our main man, Micah, from Maine, ironically. Thank you so much.
2: Thank you.
0: Next up, John and Martha King and their new book, Lift, How to Start, Run, and Grow Your Own Business.
1: Hello, I'm Hillel Glazer with the Airplane Geeks, and I'm here with our main man, Micah. Hello, Micah. Hey, hello. Great to see you again. Great to see you too, Micah. Micah, we are here with probably the only Airplane Geeks podcast guests who truly need no introduction. There wouldn't even be enough time in the podcast to talk about everything this couple has accomplished. We are talking about and with Martha and John King. Yes, them, the Kings, and how important they've become in the universe of general aviation cannot be overstated. The list of awards alone, it's in their book, is seven pages long, double-spaced in 10-point font. And (laughs) in the early 70s, they began teaching flying while they were just looking for a serious business. Uh, After a decade of hitting the road, weekends in, weekends out, doing live seminars, wherever they could fly into, then they finally started putting their courses onto video to expand their reach, Just doing that revolutionized the flight training industry. And from there, the rest is history. They put it into a book, which is the topic of today's discussion, and their book, which I'll talk about in a moment. But before I get to that, just a few highlights. And these are like literally when I say a few, I mean a few. In 1994, John and Martha became the first and only couple to both hold every category and class of FAA rating On their pilot and instructor certificates, and Martha is to this day still the only woman to achieve a complete ratings sweep. At one point, they were teaching more than half the pilots in the United States learning to fly. Not only were they on TV, which, no surprise, who wouldn't want them on their show, they are also in Microsoft's flight simulator. So you think you've seen them, you probably have, because they are everywhere doing everything and touching about everyone and of course we've left a lot of their details out John Martha welcome to the airplane geeks podcast it's a pleasure to have you on it's a pleasure to be here Hill thank you very much for your effort on our behalf thank
4: you very much it'll be a lot of fun
1: this will be a lot of fun and I can tell you that our mutual friend Rob Mark says hello but I also believe secretly he's just a little jealous So we're here to talk about your new book, which I've read, and it's on my shelf behind this poll. Um, It's called Lift, appropriately enough, How to Start, Run and Grow Your Own Successful Business. So what I want to start with is what's that book's origin story? How did it start? Where do you start writing a book about how to run, grow and start your own successful business?
5: I don't, I don't know where the book's origin story is. I, I know where our business's origin story is. And we went bankrupt in another business. We said, wow, that hurt. Let's not do that anymore. And uh, we, we were doing something we didn't have a passion for. And so we said, well, let's do something for the fun of it until a serious business comes along. And it's been, what, 47 years, and uh, we still haven't found a serious business. And so our idea was to teach pilots for a living. And um, we we're hooked on it, and uh, and we're still doing that.
4: Well, basically, uh, Hillel, we de- we decided after the bankruptcy, uh, as John says, to-, to do something for the fun of it, and we designed the lifestyle we wanted to live. Uh, with the idea of owning our own job, a good job, uh, teaching uh, uh, ground school to pilots, but uh, owning our own job. And we wanted to be able to fly our own airplane around the country. We wanted to talk to pilots. And so that's how we de- designed it. And we we did a class uh, pretty much every weekend for 10 years, live seminars in hotels around the country. And that's One of the motivating things behind the book that we feel how important it is because we've lived it, that people realize that they can design their life and their future the way they want to live it and pursue that as a dream, as a passion, and we wanted to share what we've learned in the process of doing that with other people. So
1: how long have you been thinking about actually putting all that down into a book? Well, we've, we've um,
5: uh, been putting things into courses for years. We're, we're natural teachers and we we do courses on video and we've been, we've been doing various courses on small business for years. And uh, we have a friend uh, who wrote several books and we, we brought him to San Diego and I showed him all of this course material and he, Gathered it all up and put it in the box and took it home with him and and made it a book. It's it's really our stuff that we've been doing for forty years, but he's the one that put it all together and made it work. And he did a marvelous job. His his name is uh, Larry Becker, and he did a
1: it, it was wonderful to work with and and did a great job of it. So, who do you think is your primary audience? So, who did you write the book for? Or who do you want it to reach the most? Well,
5: um, a, a lot of pilots are entrepreneurs, and and we were seeking uh, uh, either want to be entrepreneurs or people who are already entrepreneurs. And then we realized as time went do- uh, along that anyone who works you know, sells their services to somebody. And all of these tools that you can use as an entrepreneur also work in life. And so we think that anyone who wants to have a career could use all of these tools to Im- to improve their career.
4: There are many places in a a corporate structure where someone who has an entrepreneurial flair and entrepreneurial knowledge can make a huge difference both to the company and to their own careers uh, by implementing a lot of the, the thinking and the philosophies that we talk about in the book.
5: We, uh, one of the core philosophies we have is that we believe uh, entrepreneurs get ahead by seeking out and taking care of other people's needs. And uh, you take care of the needs of your customers, or otherwise they wouldn't buy from you. You take care of the the needs of the people who who are co-workers with you, uh, or else they wouldn't work together with you. And you take care of the needs of your vendors, because they wouldn't sell to you if you weren't taking care of their needs. So the way you get ahead in life is seek out and take care of other people's needs. And that goes through everything we do in business
1: and careers. Very sweet. Very nice. So you mentioned that someone came to you and said, let's make a book out of this. What was your first reaction to that idea? Well,
5: um... It's been a, a lot of work. If you, you have to dislike someone a lot to suggest that they write a book, it's a it's a huge amount of work. And that's that's my con, that's my current reaction to the whole thing. Why did we ever do this? And we're not sure why we did it. And uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I think we we have this philosophy that entrepreneurs get ahead by seeking out and taking care of other people's needs, and and we're we're peddling that philosophy.
4: In addition to that, we also have a very strong feeling that entrepreneurs and entrepreneurship is good for the country because, as John said, the way entrepreneurs get ahead is taking care of other people's needs by being innovative, being creative, uh, thinking about other people and what other people need to make their lives better, which, if the entrepreneur fulfills those needs uh, well will make the entrepreneur's life better, and and everybody wins. So it's good for the country, and uh, it's good for the, all the people involved on, on both ends.
5: A, 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 an entrepreneur leaves everyone a little better off. Everyone they come in co- connection with, they, he leaves them better off, or an entrepreneur does.
1: <laughs> it could, could be a sheet. We like to say that a rising tide raises raises all ships, right? And um, so that while well, we don't have a, the right aviation analogy for that, because um, you know we're not sitting still, um, but the rising tide raises all ships, and that sounds like your philosophy. There is everybody's better when you can make when you when you raise the tide. I think I think society's better off if we support entrepreneurs. Sure, absolutely. Well. You've obviously had time now to go over the book probably more than you'd want to and probably reminded you of things that you did and said that you've long forgotten or tried to forget. Um, Now that you've had so many times to go over the book prior to publication, do you have any favorite parts that like you really look back on and say, I loved when we did that, or I love that this came out of this, or like, I can't believe that was me. Did I really do that? And you're just really impressed with just like – The what's in the book, anything you really love?
4: Well, I think probably the part that that we were most pleased with in rereading the book and thinking about it is the section on creating an outstanding customer experience because the interaction with other people, whether they're your customers, your vendors, your employees, is so critical not just to their satisfaction and and what they get out of it, but also what the entrepreneur or the person creating that outstanding customer experience uh, gets out of it. Uh, We used to talk about uh, customer service, but as as the years went on and particularly as we looked at the, the book and thought about it, it's really much more than service because what people tend to think of is customer service is what you do after a sale, after something's gone wrong and you have to fix something with a customer. But the whole point is if you have really outstanding, an outstanding customer experience for the customer, you hopefully avoid the need to fix things afterwards and you make it a an enjoyable Learning experience uh, for for them and for for you, for your employees as well as for the customers.
5: Our philosophy is that that we're going to wrap the whole connection and relationship with the customer into an experience that that is outstanding and that they'll remember and appreciate forever. Uh, and so we thought that customer customer service is just too narrow. It's only a, a sub part of the entire experience the customer customer has.
1: So a few times in the book, you mentioned how you learn things along the way that isn't taught in business school. What's special about the business ideas that you've cultivated in your experiences that you found particularly necessary, but not standard teachings from business school? It's like this, they should teach this in business school and they're not. I think to me, it's
5: being what we call you centered. In a weird sort of way, we believe that everything you do has to do with someone else. And when we write someone a letter, the first word in that letter is either you or your. Um, because why would you write a letter if it wasn't about them? So we think uh, what we want to do is be other-centered. We want everything to be based on the other person. And so you think about that. You're, you're, you're based on your customer, based on your your fellow worker, based on your vendor. And we think that really pays off, and I think that's really a key to, to getting ahead. And people don't talk about that as a subject matter.
4: Business schools, Hillel, have a tendency to be very... Um formal and um, considered and moderate in their approach, impersonal, if you will, in their language and in how they talk about the customer and interactions. And one of the things we feel strongly that is missing in most business schools, or at least as we experience them, is that personal connection, and particularly if you're an entrepreneur who has made a business out of your passion and your your personal interest, maybe things that you, for, for most of your life, thought nobody would ever pay me to do that, and you've met now made a business out of it, it is personal. It's very personal. And... It's not just personal for you, it's very personal for the customer. The customer is not some abstract number or abstract uh, avatar that's just a computer uh, simulation. It's um, it's a real live human being with a lot of thoughts and feelings and interactions. And the, the better that you can see that person and know who they are, the better your business is going to do. One of the things that we think made a very significant uh, advantage as far as our transition to video is we spent 10 years on the road uh, teaching two-day live seminars every weekend, as I say, for 10 years. So so we taught these classes essentially 500 times John for the private commercial and instructor and me for the instrument and instrument instructor. And by the time we started working to put them on video... We knew who the customer was. We could stand in front of a camera and look in the lens, and we could see a classroom full of friends, a classroom full of fellow pilots, uh, aviation enthusiasts, people passionate about flying, and we could talk to them through the camera one-on-one. And we attribute that ability largely to our teaching the live seminars for so many years.
3: You know, you remind me, uh, societally. We are a far more impersonal society than we used to be, and it's definitely like that in business. And even when you speak with customer service on the phone, they teach people to repeat you, repeat what you're saying to you so that you can, they can sound like they're hearing you, but they're paying no attention to it. And it sort of reminds me of the old George Burns line, sincerity, that's what it takes. Once you can fake that, you've got it made.
5: <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, life is personal, and what happens to me is very personal to me. What happens to you is... Very personal to you. And it's our jobs to, uh, well, when we hire an employee, uh, Martha and I get them aside, look them in the eye, and we say to the employee, uh, we want to explain our obligation to you. And and we tell them, our obligation to you is to ensure that you have meaningful and rewarding work in an atmosphere of civility and respect. And if you don't think you're getting meaningful and rewarding work, and that means meaningful and rewarding to you. It's not that what we think is meaningful and rewarding. It's got to be meaningful and rewarding to you. And if you don't think you're getting that, I want you to come to us because you're entitled to meaningful and rewarding work in an atmosphere of civility and respect. And and we have employees that have been with us 20, 30, and up to 35 years. And that kind of implies that we're giving them meaningful and rewarding work in an atmosphere of civility and respect, and that's and that's what you know. You wouldn't want to spend your life unless
1: you had that. You know, you're accomplished publishers. You're no stranger to publishing. How would you say this book differs from the many other things that you have your name on it out there in print?
5: Well, this is a, an attempt for us to uh, to explain how entrepreneurs succeed. And, uh, and, you know, people would come to our business very often through the years and say, well, you have a great business here. And believe it or not, that would annoy us. And the reason that would annoy us is that you can't see a business. A business is the uh, a business is not computers and a TV studio and office and and employees. A business is the identification of a customer need or want that you can fulfill profitably. And so once you, a customer, a business is this abstract customer need or want that you can fulfill profitably. And you can't see a business. And and a business is is personal to the customer. It's personal to us and and to me. Uh, I think that's. What we're trying to get across with the book.
4: It's a very different challenge, Hillel, to be trying to write a, a book about how the techniques we use to succeed and the lessons we learn from from many mentors along the way, uh, how that might help other people in their search for um, Meaning and passion in their lives and achievement. Uh, that that's a different ball game from uh, from writing uh, uh, books or, or talks or whatever about uh, aviation aerodynamics or weather. Um, how how to understand the regulations. It's a it's a different kind of thinking process and. Um, uh, <laughs> a whole different world of publishing as far as these days where you get them printed and, and how you work with um, book publishers and uh, manuscript reviewers and so on. But So it's been a very interesting learning experience. But uh, it, it was very painful in, in the process of going through because there's so much review and fine-tuning to be done. But it's uh, very satisfying now to have something uh, available for people that we think really might help make a difference in their lives.
5: Hello, you must be a really good reader. It takes a while to read a book, and if you've gotten through this book
1: already, I'm very impressed. <laughs> well, it's it's the topic is very uh close to the work I do as a, on a regular basis. I uh not to to talk about myself more than necessary to answer your question, but thank you. <laughs> um there's uh yeah, I can you can talk offline about that a little more. But you actually your responses to the last question actually tee up my next question perfectly in that you've applied Uh, the notion of lifelong learning that we all do in aviation. And you talk about lifelong learning from a business perspective and how you've grown uh, together. And as, in, as a business, uh, you know, apply lifelong learning in business. And you came up with some really, really great insights and things that take others, they'll, you know, some things that people will never see for themselves. Do you think if you'd had some of what was in your book, Back when you started that business, a previous business, or before making training, aviation training, your main revenue, that you would have been able to be successful at something else using what's the ideas that are in your book. What what a fabulous question.
5: You know, the the number one thing I think we learned uh, is that you have if you have a passion, you'll work harder, you'll work longer, you're, you're, you'll pursue through difficulty, and uh, you'll feel that you haven't been working. You'll feel you've had a great time. And I think the I think that one of the key things that we learned is pursue a passion. Don't do something uh, that you don't feel passionate about because you're not going to enjoy it, and, and you won't do. Your best. So, if you want to do your best in life, pursue a passion.
4: One of the problems with our previous business, Hillel, is that we were we were very young when we started it, and um, we could have benefited a lot from the principles in the book. But we still might not have had the skills to design it properly, so that uh, we really had the control over it. As entrepreneurs, that we wanted to have, um, but as John says, uh, the big thing we learned from our bankruptcy is, first of all, failure is wasted if you don't take responsibility for it. We did it; it hurt. Uh, that's uh, why we said, okay, let's let's quit swinging for the fences in a business that that we hope will make us, you know, millions of dollars, and, and instead it took us bankrupt. Let's let's do something we have a passion for, and out of that and out of some of the mentorship we uh, have had, we've developed uh, the the acronym or mnemonic play that we use to help describe. Uh, habits of entrepreneurs that we think are extremely helpful for their success. And the P stands for passion. You need to have at least one really strong passion uh, that's involved with your business or or becomes your business. The L is for learning. Uh, The entrepreneurs that we know that are successful are always learning. They are... uh, they are continually learning, as you uh, talked about lifelong learning, even in areas that they are already considered to be experts at, and they're going deeply into things.
5: A has to do with uh, have lots of interests, always always have interests, and uh, uh, you can right. you can do you could uh, you could move those around. You could say uh, lots of interest, always learning, and then finally the why is. Uh, Yet again, in other words, make these habits. If you have passion, lots of interest, always learning, and and you have those as habits, you'll be doing well. And finally, we say play with TNT. Um, And TNT is... You be trustworthy. People, people uh, deal with people they trust. So be trustworthy. Um, and the end, C is seek out other people's needs. What everybody's thinking about is with them. And the finally, uh, the last T is is triumph with solutions to other people's needs. So you, you play with TNT, and that's the secret
1: to success. And of course, as aviation people, you made an acronym out of it. So. <laughs> <laughs>
5: We've been doing our whole lives making acronyms.
1: Yeah, yes. So, but I think I love that the initial point was about taking responsibility for the failure because you're never going to learn from your prior experiences, success or failure, if you don't own your role in it, if you don't own up to what was going on, if you don't become present to the part of it that um, you played and even if the world was working against you, you still played a work, a role in it. And until you recognize your role, you won't be able to begin the learning process. And I think that's a critical piece of experimentation is the learning, not whether or not what you wanted to have the outcome be was the actual outcome. It's what did you learn from it? And that's, I think that's probably the, uh, one of the biggest takeaways that anyone could have from any business experience or aviation experience for that matter.
4: The business we were in that we went bankrupt in we were in not because we had a passion for it, but because John had a background in it from his family business, and it was basically the oil and lubrication uh business for truck fleets. What contributed uh in terms of the world view to our uh, bankruptcy was the Arab oil embargo in uh, the 19, early 1970s. And it would be very easy, as you say, Hillel, to, to say, oh, well, that, I didn't have anything to do with it. It was just what happened in the worldwide economy. But regardless of that, we had not designed our business well. We weren't running it on the same principles that we're running it now. And when we went bankrupt, we looked at each other and said exactly what I said to you. If we don't understand what we did wrong and take responsibility for it, we aren't going to be able to go forward from here. And so when we took that responsibility is when we said, okay, uh, what do we need to do next time? And the number one thing on that list was something we really cared about which was flying.
1: Yeah. I think everybody wishes they could be in that position, but we could, I guess we could all be in that position if we took responsibility and made something happen. So you know about as well as anyone out there, how there are too many flight schools that fold. And even among those that haven't folded, they're scraping out a subsistence. And among them, there are too many who could really use the ideas in your book, if nothing else, to improve the customer experience. Could you perhaps have an an underlying desire, maybe, that part of the reason behind publishing the book would be maybe to help out the quality and therefore the success of all flight schools and maybe not just the desire to write a primer on starting a business? Well, th-
5: that would be a very – that's a very noble suggestion on our behalf. I don't think we're that intelligent. Um, I don't think we're trying to change the uh, aviation training industry. uh, And I I don't think we have the capability of doing it. Um, We just made some observations as we went along in life and said, well, this this has helped us and maybe this will help other people. But I I don't I don't think we're that uh, that we think we're going to shape the world of aviation training.
1: I think that wouldn't be a, such a bad idea though. Let's, you know, let's put it on record that if you're running a business, uh sorry, you're running a, a flight school out there and you're not doing as well as you'd like to, maybe start with John and Martha's book. <laughs> I love the way you talk. <laughs> Thank you. I'll, I'll have your people talk to my people. Um, so is, is there anything else you want to tell us about the book? Like, when is it actually coming out? When is it being published? Where can people get it? And uh, if there's anything you want people to net to be able to see or look at before they. Get it. What what, what what? can you tell us?
5: You can order it on Kindle right now, and it will be delivered on October 11th. Is that correct, Martha? Did I get it right?
4: That is correct. You can pre-order it now, and it will be delivered on October 11th. And, um, in fact, we're going to have a book signing of the book at uh, National Business Aviation Association Convention in Orlando the following week on uh, October 18th.
1: So uh, I'm just going to say, Rob Mark, you eat your heart out, because I've already got my signed copy. <laughs> <laughs> it's not the official copy, technically, but I'll live with it. Well, R- Rob oh, Mark... Robin, it's very <laughs>
4: special. It, it, it's an advanced reader copy, so uh, it's special for Rob- you. Rob
5: Mark's a great contributor to King Schools. M- Martha and I, uh, uh, when, when we got married, we decided that we were going to be equal partners in business. And... Uh, And to this day, one of my lines is, I want to make it clear right now, Martha's only a little bit better pilot than I am. And (laughs) the the fact is, Martha is a little bit better than about everything we do. Uh, uh, So we we have a partnership and we're equal partners and I'm struggling to be um, uh, the the equal to to Martha. It's,
1: it's, it's, uh, It's an uphill battle for me. Your marriage clearly follows something not in the book called Happy Life, Happy Wife. (laughs) <laughs>
4: well, I'll tell you, though, it does follow very closely one of the things we talk about in the book, and that is uh, continual communication and obvious respect. Uh, the The best way to have a, and perpetuate a good relationship is to be very open and communicative and have a great deal of respect for each other. And one of the things that has... Uh, Made our relationship uh, so perfect as far as I'm concerned is the way that John has always gone out of his way to make sure that I received from other people, whether in the aviation community or elsewhere, uh, the respect that he feels that I should have. And that at the time we got married, which was 1965, that was Not all that common in attitude.
5: If we got a minute, I can tell a a fun story. We we were in uh, we were in uh, Mexico. And uh, we we used to fly our, our airplane. We live in San Diego, so it's not very far to Mexico. We used to fly down there all the time. And Martha and I always kind of divide things up. She'll do one thing, I'll do another thing. And we kind of arbitrarily divided it up that, that I was going to go talk to the commandancia and, and do the paperwork of getting in and out of Mexico and and so on. And Martha was going to go buy fuel. And so we it would take us take me about an hour to get through the paperwork, and I would come back. And Martha still hadn't gotten the fuel. And uh, she's furious. She's just absolutely livid. And the problem is that no uh, Mexican fuel guy is going to talk to some woman and have the woman order fuel. And so Martha just, they, about four or five people, four or five other airplanes would buy fuel, but Martha couldn't buy fuel. And I'd come back, she's just living, and I said, well, this isn't working, so let's do it the other way around. Why don't I buy the fuel, and you deal with the commandancia and, and the and the uh, people at the airport? And she did, and they, they're amused, uh, uh, and uh, Martha's uh, competent. It's obvious that she's competent, and they, they found it was fun. They worked with her, and they, they just thought it was kind of cute. That Martha would come and order the fuel, or come and come and uh, do all the paperwork and uh, deal with the authorities. And um, of course, they're wearing, they have stripes on their shoulders and they, 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 they can, they can put up with Martha. And uh, so I, and I'd go order the fuel and I'd, I'd be the first airplane done. I'm a short little guy and they're not, I'm no threat to them and they'd, they'd order fuel from me let me order the fuel. So we found out that that worked. And one of the lessons we got out of that is put the right person in the right place. Don't, don't try and put Martha in a situation where it isn't going to work. And, and so with, between the two of us, there's a lot of things that Martha does better than I do, and there are a few things that I can do that uh, that Martha is not able to do. So we just use them to our advantage, and that really worked well. And it's a great lesson for us, and and we really enjoy it when we go to some other country. and And I, I buy the fuel, and Martha deals with all the customs and immigration and the airport commandancy and all of that. So it, it goes a lot simpler. So anyway, that's that's one of our jokes, one of our one of our stories
4: but I would like to pick up on something John just said about putting the right person in the right position. Uh, He was talking about uh, him and me when we were going to Mexico, but it's a philosophy that we've carried over into our business and that we think would make a, a lot of impact on other businesses, and that is we have moved people around in our company from time to time and completely redesigned different jobs or created new jobs that weren't there before because of the skills and abilities of people that are working with us. And sometimes a person just doesn't fit in a job that you've prescribed and this is the box you're going to fit in. And we've worked very hard in that case to find a different activity, a different um, job description, if you will, for them that is fulfilling to them, but also uh, very productive for the company. And pretty much every time that's turned out to be uh, a very satisfying thing for us to do, for them to do, and productive for the company as well.
5: It goes back to that idea of meaningful and rewarding work and an atmosphere of civility and respect. And if it's not fun for them, it's not going to work out well.
1: Well, John, Martha, I really... If we keep talking, you're just going to give away the book through this medium of me- of podcasting, and I don't there's think Not that much fair. in it anyway. Hill. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, either way, we need to we need to keep something under the cover so people buy the book and find out for themselves what you have to say about running a business. Uh, so, I'm, if unless there's something else you want to add, I'm not going to ask any other questions besides that one about adding anything else. And and if not, then uh, we really appreciate you guys coming on and talking about your book and letting us see- peek behind the curtain of the operation. Not that there was ever any uh, lack of transparency between you two and the rest of the world ever, but now it's all in a book, and you've talked about it with us here. Thank you very much.
4: Well, thank you very much. Thank you very much.
1: Micah, did you have a question you wanted to ask?
3: That's uh... I wanted to ask one more thing that I think our listeners would be really upset if we didn't ask. Besides this great book, is there anything new or anything exciting that you want to tell us about happening with King's Schools?
4: I would say, Micah, the biggest thing that's happening is we've got a a very focused effort underway to work with both flight schools and independent flight instructors to help them be more productive and to help them make their students successful, their learning pilots at all levels successful. And it's been a very exciting initiative, and we have a a new person working at King's Schools, Brian Huff, who is a, a former CPC manager and has worked in business development with aviation affiliates for universities and is very excited about helping Flight schools, whether they're with a university, but even if they're uh, just particularly if they're an independent flight school that could really use some additional uh, help and uh, and knowledge backup, if you will, and hand-holding for setting up or improving their training programs, and he's doing a great job for us, and we're just very excited about that as a, uh, to address, Hillel, what you were talking about earlier, as a way to help improve the flight training community.
5: You might uh, be aware that the uh, flight training is going gangbusters right now with the airlines hiring and so on. And a lot of people want to be in a- approved schools. There's a lot of hurdles you have to get through to, to get by the FAA to become a, an approved school. And we do what we call a concierge service, which we help flight schools get over these hurdles and, and speed them along so they can do it faster and better. And, and I think it's a, a big service to them.
3: And this is one of the things we love about you, John and Martha. Here we go. We're talking about the book, but you're proving the business by giving back to the aviation community, improving both at the same time. I love the way you talk. Absolutely phenomenal.
1: (laughs) Well, once again, Martha, John, thank you so, so much for coming and joining us on the Airplane Geeks podcast. For my friend, my main man, Micah, I'm Hillel Glazer, and this has been John and Martha King. Well, thank you. Thank you.
0: All right. With that, thank you for listening to the Airplane Geeks podcast. I'm hoping we can get the usual crew together soon and do a proper episode in the format that you're used to. Meantime, you can find us and show notes for this episode at airplanegeeks.com. And the direct link to the show notes for this episode is airplanegeeks.com slash 720. As always, you can reach us via email at thegeeks at airplanegeeks.com. So please join us again next time as we talk aviation on the Airplane Geeks podcast.